0: Check, 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 check. Mic check.
1: Mike oh <laughs> That's what the occupy. We are here used to, do. to talk about I forget how it works. mic check, so like and then you it's like I An occupy? An occupy, so you would just say mic check and then I would say mic check.
0: No, uh-huh. you I one person says mic check, then everyone just shouts mic check. It's the sim call and yeah, it was there's there's various like call and response things like that. But did you did you make it down to uh, occupy it all? I
2: did. Yeah, I donated a bunch of uh, old National Geographic magazines. Um, oh, I nice. remember the book, yeah. like the, the free book area. The pretty library. Cool. Yeah.
0: So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we are uh, hello Brian. Hey Lenny, what's up? Uh, we're sitting here with Ryan Snow. He is a uh, Why don't you you introduce yourself,
1: Ryan? Tell us who you are. Yeah. So
2: I am a third-year student at the University of Virginia School of Law, 3L, um, 3L. Yeah. And um, I am in law school to work on um, voting rights, redistricting, and campaign finance reform. These these are the three issues that I feel like are distorting our democracy. And um, I was motivated to go to law school. Um, I obviously already I'd, I'd, I'd always cared about our democracy deeply. Uh, but I was working as a professional trombonist, uh, an improviser, oh. for ten years. Yeah, it was my first, my first, career first, first, career, <laughs> yeah. and I was touring around the country and seeing the country for the first time from a you know ground perspective. I'm originally from California, went to school in Ohio and uh, undergrad in Ohio, and then I lived in Brooklyn for for ten years doing music, and um, meeting hundreds of people, thousands of people, um, really getting a sense for uh, what what unites us, what we have in common, and then at the same time. Um, you know, this was post Citizens United. Um, and then in 2013, Shelby County v. Holder, um, mm-hmm. the Supreme Court decision that gutted the Voting Rights Act. Um, and I kind of had already been really stressing about our democracy in the context of money and politics. And then I realized, like, oh, okay, so they're actually, they're, they're now making it very easy to disenfranchise people, to literally right. tell you people you can't vote. So, um, and the, one of the other effects, I mean, we can talk about it later, but <clears throat> one of the other big effects of, Shelby County was it, it. the main effect was it took away the provision that allowed the Department of Justice to um, to pre-clear voting changes, changes to voting laws in states that have a history of right. discrimin- discrimination, uh, voting discrimination. And so instead of being able to say yes or no, and they had sixty days to do it, um, they actually now we have to actually sue. This the jur- right. their jurisdiction. So yeah, yeah. I really felt like. It's all of a sudden we need lawyers to do this work, and Absolutely. I felt like I could do the work. We need just boots on the ground, so to speak. That's great. Um, that's and then here I am.
1: Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, it, though, I sent you guys an infographic earlier, where it's, uh, to me what was funny or terrifying, however in whatever perspective on it, was that every um, every state that was. I guess, in the doghouse, or affected by the uh, Voting Rights Act. And
0: the the what, technical what term is in the doghouse, in the doghouse. you're <laughs> affected by but the Voting Rights there
1: Act. Were, there were, um, w- were states below the Mason-Dixon line. It was every Confederate state and, uh, and I think, Arizona. You mean so. the ones <laughs> that,
0: that fought and risked their lives to perpetuate slavery yeah. were the ones that had a history of voter suppression? Who would have thought? Yeah, <laughs> not predictable. Yeah. Um, so you're saying that basically by having toured the country and seen more of it, you were like, I got to let these people have more of a
2: say. I feel like I would have felt the opposite
0: well, there were, there were <laughs> uh, coastal elitism I I,
2: bo- yes, I'm, I, I'm a- <laughs> I am I am a progressive populist. I believe in democracy. I believe that if we let it work, it will work, and what we have now is not that. what we have is is um, governance by the few, and we have a distorted electoral process. We have a, a really terrible incentive structure with campaign finance where you have to just go out and raise money constantly yeah. uh, and and yeah, so know I, I do I do believe in in um in democracy and it's conversations between between people um also before i went to law school i actually worked in new hampshire as a field organizer for for three months kind of having some of the same conversations i've been having casually after a gig with people that i just met every day on the phone or at their doors and and um yeah so you know I, i'm a very big believer in direct demo, direct democracy yeah, yeah totally and
0: like i think that one of the appealing things about this topic and this sort of approach to fix what's wrong with democracy is that we all know that there's some sort of malaise In in, like people don't feel represented, uh, they're not being represented. I mean, the outcomes are not at all like equal to what is being promised, and um, uh, it's like what there's very people take sort of different approaches to identifying what the issue is. But with electoral reform and like identifying electoral issues, (coughs) you are kind of getting at like the meta problem of it, right? Because it's how the government is formed in general. So it's like one of my pet ideas that, for example, is that I think that we need more. Um, more plurality represented through more parties. Mm-hmm. But even that is something that can be like, it all ladders back up to how is the government chosen?
1: Right. Well, th- and I think that would be, inter- I mean, the, the more parties thing. And the, also, I think um, why we don't have like compulsory voting in the United States. So like why something like where, you know, like Australia has where you receive a, there's like a heavy fine on people that don't vote or like, or we have compulsory voting where you, you're either fined or taxed for not voting or, we don't have, like, a national voting holiday like every other civilized democracy. I think that's maybe the key. Or put it on a
2: fucking Saturday or something. Yeah, or just, yeah,
1: we go, why don't don't we do it on Saturday? Or, like,
2: (laughs) a three-day window or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, make it a Monday, and you can vote Saturday, Sunday, Monday.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or or
2: leave it a Tuesday and make Monday and Tuesday a holiday. Yeah, or and then like also the, easy.
1: Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the a lot of the articles I was reading too, as I was getting ready to prepare for this this show, was talking about how um, you know a lot of the Voting Rights Act or a lot of the things that states have done also have done a lot to limit like early voting or voting. So that that yeah. which is a huge access to uh, the ballot box. So yeah. people if they know that they're going to be working or whatever it is on election day, they can just submit their ballots early. But then people are like, well. Yeah. Hold, hold the phone. I will, uh, <laughs> I will just eliminate that, that clause and we will not get those people's votes in. And usually that effect, disproportionately affects people of like working class and uh, the, the working poor.
2: Yeah. Democracy is a really hard thing to argue against. You basically have to have some kind of version of, you know, you don't want this group of people, the undesirables, voting because we don't trust them to make good decisions, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can define that group however you want, it's been defined in many different ways across our history um but i you know conversely i think democracy is a really easy thing to argue for i don't think you'd, you'd have many people arguing that you want to make it harder for people to vote you want to discourage people to vote um they <clears throat> usually make some other other form of argument like you know you're worried about election fraud which of course every study that's been done has shown that is non-existent right. um but uh but yeah i mean i and this this uh, this i think is an issue that really cuts another reason i'm actually ultimately optimistic about it um for our generation for our, on a long enough timeline is is that um it's a bipartisan issue. It's as bipartisan issue as you can get. You know, we don't necessarily have to agree on all of the substantive issues. Right. Um, and in fact, we will likely disagree on, on a, lot, a lot of things. Um, and we should, and then we can, we can have a conversation about it, and we can try to understand each other's perspective. But we, we could should be very quickly and easily be able to agree that we should be the ones making the decisions about that policy, rather than some you know smoky back room or you know a banquet hall full of people who each paid 50 grand to be there. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, That's kind know, of a premise for yeah. my whole my whole career change and kind of life to completely year.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, and then eventually once it's fixed go back to jazz. <laughs> <laughs> come. My work here is done. You know. No. We'll it celebrate we'll, with it. We'll a, never be done. I mean, we should, we'll never be done. Well, it's yeah, yeah it's, it's a constantly be. refining process. I think that what to I mean, it's funny because d- it's it really the debate or not the, the discussion really does kind of come down to defending democracy and and it sounds trite to say given that how um unanimously uh democracy is accepted in like when you're talking about the united states and our you know global hegemony and like we're going to change this regime towards what it's always towards democracy i think that the reason from a top-down perspective is well it's a buzzword for example for one thing i mean there's plenty of democracies that like we don't as a country support and have have you know (coughs) usurped um but it also is very stable right it's like you can have something kind of cataclysmic like Trump happen and, you know, everyone looks at each other and that's kind of the point of democracy. I think it's like it's beneficial not because of the wise outcomes that it produces, but because of the legitimacy of it. It's, exactly. It's super, it's, that makes it fundamentally stable in a really
2: um, populist way. And there are, there are plenty of institutions that contribute to that stability. I think the judiciary and having the rule of law, meaning our government can actually lose in court. Our government lose it in its own courts. That right. is not something to take for granted, yeah. and that that is a huge foundation. Um, I mean, there's, there's you know a whole Constitution and Bill of Rights that does that. But I think you're absolutely right that people being able to see their votes translate into outcomes is a huge basic kind of part of legitimacy. And that the less they see that, the less legitimate the government is in their eyes. The less likely they are to participate in the process. Which I mean, I think that's the, really the, a big part of the root of the of these issues. We could we could make it compulsory. We could make it a holiday mm-hmm. and all that. But if people don't see you know, if there are barriers to their vote translating into a policy outcome or influence over that, they're not going to participate, they, and they very rationally will say it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I
1: think that's why Trump was essentially a throw-it. Mean, Trump what is the is the outcome, is the natural outcome of what's been going on. Whether it's in voting discrimination or just like alienation of democracy, I think is the. He was just the guy who came out there and said, "These people haven't been working for you, and I'm going to work for you, and I I'm the show, Mr. Show Business." And you know, they're like, whatever, like what. Like yeah, a, a, it was a protest vote. Yeah, as a person and, and a civically unengaged person, you're like, "Whatever, like my life sucks anyway. Like why don't I just, I, I, I think I, that's I think, uh, that's part of it, I think that. It you know, it's part
2: of it. Yeah.
0: Do, like, the, the, what what actually comes out of the administration? I mean, like at this rate, which is the rate meaning like nothing is happening, like the administration is too incompetent to actually do anything, I think that the protest vote might actually end up looking really rational like decades from now, um, especially if it leads to positive outcomes in terms of more engagement and people kind of uh you know it's starting right now with like people are talking about taking over the DNC with more representative uh leaders but you know if that eventually kind of question, makes us question what is the what is the actual um how are the machinations of democracy actually functioning like with this gerrymandering stuff that's now um now it's in the news but also i think people are just generally more aware of it uh it's kind of a call to um it's going to be interpreted many ways i think uh, i think of the the re- reading the protest vote that is trump as um like, an invitation to kind of, like, we have a lot of established institutions to in this country, everything from the way that districts are drawn to, like, the fact that the Bureau of Labor Statistics is actually reliable and gets good numbers and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's so many institutions that we have that, are, that have gone unquestioned by the elites that actually run it, uh, that run the systems, that bringing all of it into question, as long as nothing terrible happens, like mass deportations or something, might actually be a net positive. And talking about electoral reform is definitely pretty much as high level as you can get uh, in terms of it, it, fixing the actual system and its representation. Um, and what I was going to say about the um, the idea of defending democracy is that it does sound trite, except for that then you, like the way that it, everyone, everyone is pro-voting. You know, like even the people that are openly racist and are, and are perpetuating provable fraud, fraudulent, provably fraudulent myths about, um, about voter fraud, even they're saying like, yeah, we want citizens to vote, we want everyone to vote, da, 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 you know, the party line. But... What is weird is that then you get into sort of the um, process uh, conversation, and you start to get to conversations of like, should one person equal one vote? Um, you know, Justice Kennedy, who's like currently trying to be won over by this current argument in the Supreme Court, which we're going to talk about, has written before that like, you know, there's no guarantee that votes should be proportionally afforded. You know, and and then the consensus about every every vote, everyone should vote, and it's a wholesome thing turns into like okay but now that you've collected the votes what actually happens to them and uh, once you pivot to that conversation you really do have to actively defend democracy and the idea that vote you know that proportionality
2: matters and that's i think at the heart of gerrymandering um, and, uh, and other issues so kennedy and and i think most people would agree that there's no constitutional right to proportional representation that's not the same thing as saying there isn't a right to one person one vote in the sense that each our votes are, are weighted equally or equally, so the, the the point is not that we're entitled to, um, you know, an, an exactly proportional you know representation that we voted for in in in, in office, but that uh, but that yeah our 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 vote should be given equal weight. Um, however, however close to that we can get, um, which I think is a really, it's kind of a good segue into maybe the beginning of this whole debate, which is you know how to do, how does a society decide who gets to participate in picking the, those who govern them. Right. right. And, and it's
1: white men that own
2: property. And right. That's it. And that's, that's, that if you're an originalist, I'm sorry, but that's what people thought when they, when they yeah, talked about democracy, uh-huh. uh, at the founding and, um, you know, and there were, I would say, you know, rational, uh, somewhat defensible reasons for that. They didn't think that people who didn't own property had a real stake in that jurisdiction that's a defensible argument to make um mm-hmm. you know obviously it's the, the outcome is abhorrent but mm-hmm. you know um and you know i you know you could have argued at some point that um you know, you were much less likely to be educated if you didn't have property, or if you weren't a woman, or if you weren't white, those are all true. And and so the arguments get made about what kind of electorate do you want? Right. Um, and I think and you know, and there was a time at which uh, it wasn't guaranteed that you could vote until you're 21. Right. That, yeah. that had to be amended. So
1: and that was relatively recently. Yeah, I, absolutely. Was, yeah. Well, I mean, it
2: states had gone there already, and it was, right, right. It was codified. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you if you think more broadly about what this whole debate is about. It's about who gets to participate in our democracy, and on what basis do we make those decisions? Mm-hmm. Right now, the the, the consensus and the, the legal guarantee is if you're if you're a U.S. citizen who's 18 and over, uh, you get to vote, unless you're a felon in some states. So yeah. that's 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 something else that's you know uh, that's debatable. But that's actually right in the Constitution. It says that states can decide uh, voter qualifications and in, in speci- ex- explicitly mentions. Uh, past condition of of, of uh, sorry not, not servitude but of, of incarceration that's or, in the 15th
0: amendment right the servitude one well no
2: that that says you can't be, uh based, pro- right, based, based on conditions past past of servitude right. but uh earlier and this is um, where is it it's in the constitution the states can decide um, they can heard of
0: it liberals yeah right
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no i mean it, it protects the states rights to um, to decide, uh, you know, b- decide voter for qual- voter qualifications, and it expl- explicitly mentions um, essentially felon status or you know, ex-felon status, convicted of uh, various crimes. And states have defined that in d- in different ways. States have come up with different mechanisms to restore your right to vote or not. Um, mm-hmm. You know what's funny
0: too is that I, a couple of years ago I read this book called The Rhetoric of Reaction, which was about um, this professor tried to cleave all like reactionary rhetoric along a couple lines and kind of bucket them. And I forgot what the divisions were, but one of the things I remember was that there was a huge debate in the 19th century in England over democracy, like, should we have democracy? Right. And, like, Tocqueville wrote about America for a really democracy ambivalent crowd in Europe. Democracy you, in America, baby. Demotic in de America, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and, it's, and, you know, he's like, it, it's crazy, given how fundamental it is to our founding mythos, you know, but there, they were really deciding it almost on a policy basis, like, should we do democracy? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and, like, the, all of the arguments against democracy are like, look, you're gonna have the people that are unlettered. They're gonna be susceptible to demagoguery, and they're gonna just vote in their interest. And the and policy is just gonna basically bribe them. And it's like I don't know, that's kind of true, actually. But, <laughs> These
2: but, are the same arguments that are being made now. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, yeah, and actually, one of the the
0: uh, I mean, it, it's like, look, this is not this is absolutely not a perfect system, um, but it's like. I mean, obviously, you know, there's, like, the Winston Churchill line. Like, it's the best system. Or it's the worst system except for all the others. Or there's also the famous Homer Simpson line. When will people learn democracy (laughs) democracy doesn't doesn't work? work. (laughs) Uh, I was actually pretty cynical about democracy. I was was echoing that line at this election, and I just hope that – I don't know. What was your – like, as someone who's, like, a real big, like, overt, like, stated advocate for democracy, to watch it implode in such a fucking dumb decision, what was your kind of, like – evolved read on trump well
2: there, there were so many things that played into him winning um obviously he didn't win the popular vote and you know i know you want to talk about the electoral college but i think that's, that's um, excuse that's, me millions <laughs> of voting fraud i don't know if you've heard the fake news no but okay so no that's that's, that's not even funny though that's I know, the thing i, know, is, I mean that's ironic. like right yeah, no yeah, i know yeah. but it's it's yeah. like i mean that's 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 such a tragedy that that even gets dignified by right. anybody and it's a failure of our media, and it's a failure. I mean, the fact that we can joke about that, right? Yeah. It's a failure of the Republican Party specifically for not for not full throated saying no. This is just not true
1: because because we have such a staunch like legacy in democracy and monitoring our voting and all that stuff. Like, I think that was one. Maybe, like, it, or correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is the reason why. I- voter fraud is non-existent in america is because of our ability to monitor elections or is it like I, I, oh many reasons yeah, i think like, first
2: and foremost it's a felony punishable yeah. by 10 years in prison and i okay. forget how many t- tens of thousands of dollars of fine yeah. so for anybody to make one vote right and to make one extra vote and risk a felony in and prison ten years in prison oh right. that's it's completely right. i mean the idea that an undocumented person would do that is even more far-fetched right. i yeah. think that's the fir- that's the first and foremost reason i mean you know you'd probably have if you didn't have that uh, and if it were a slapper on the wrist or nothing, you'd probably have plenty of people like, you know, going to the next precinct over and voting again, you right. still probably wouldn't have, you know, enough to swing an election on some massive they scale. Would,
1: they would pull that old school, like in a in New York, like Tammany hall style thing where they would like, they would cut guys hair and send them over to the next They'd, they'd be like, all right, you, you like, you <laughs> <Right>. voted three <laughs> right, times right, today right. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. No, I mean, so yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's plenty of reasons why he won. And, uh, at first we have to acknowledge they didn't win the popular vote, um, and uh, and uh, you know we touched back on this on, on this uh, in electoral college, but I think um, if if we didn't have an electoral college, he would have lost the popular vote by even more because. All the big states, except for Texas, maybe Texas maybe would have been the other way, but it would have outweighed all the big states that don't have a real estate. They're not swing states, so people just don't vote because they know they know it doesn't matter. And then, of course, it hurts us down ballot, it screws up our democracy, and that would have
0: changed time. the Democrats' strategy. They would the the strategy would turn into just driving up the vote in Absolutely. population in centers: New York, yeah. Yeah. San Francisco, yeah. Seattle. Yeah. Sounds yeah. sounds
2: really democratic. We're going to try to get people to vote. I mean, yeah. it's a really bad incentive structure for for parties and, and and candidates and all that. But that's 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 kind of a side side conversation. Um, and then, you know, obviously he only won by, uh, in the, in terms of the, the votes that counted the, the swing state votes, um, he won by like 75,000 votes in three states and yeah, like there Michigan, was Michigan, massive, Wisconsin there, and, yeah. uh,
1: I forget the other one, but, uh,
2: um, and, uh, and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, Pennsylvania was the only real swing state of, of those right. three. Um, and there's a lot of evidence that there was massive, Voter suppression in those states. Obviously, that they have voter ID laws, so that's that's voter suppression to begin with. But right. simple, like voter purging. You know, take people who registered, who signed up, and and showed up, and they, they weren't on the polls. They can cast a provisional ballot, quote unquote, which just means some it means different things in different states. A lot of times, it means you have to show up a few days later to prove who you are, I say you were, which is makes it extremely unlikely that it's going to be counted. Right. And and those votes are often just thrown in the trash. Right. Um, but uh, and then a lot of people don't. They they're told they can they can. They can, you know, fill out this other ballot, uh-huh. this, what you know, the second class ballot or whatever, yeah. and they just decide to leave. They also often, you know, you know, you have to sign, you have to, you know, sign under penalty of perjury. That they blah blah blah. So you, you have this 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 next level of 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 uh, you know scare tactics to to, to dissuade people exactly yeah. yeah. Which you know it, it makes a huge difference nationally, but when you're dealing with an election that was decided, you know, by you know a couple ten thousand votes in a state, um, that's that's absolutely so. That's all to say that before you even talk about any kind of what, what it means that we elected Trump, we as a, some grand thing, our system elected Trump. Our system allowed Trump to be elected. And that is not to minimize the 62 million people who voted for him. And that's a, that's a conversation that I think is important to have nationally. Um, and, but that is to say that we, you really can't have that conversation without first acknowledging that the system allowed it to happen and by, through all of these different means, through all of these different levels and all of these different ways. Um, and you know, that's, that's, uh, in a large part been, been a concerted strategy, certainly in Wisconsin. Um, you know, you have, uh, you had after 2010, you had a, a fir- first full Republican control of, of the state in, I don't know how many decades, you know? Um, and they, they sat down and they said, okay, well, how are we going to keep power? One of the ways was with gerrymandering and drawing, drawing safe dist- we're, districts. We're going to gerrymander we're and can,
1: break up unions. And so like, uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and <laughs>
2: and I oh, mean, and everything from you know, obviously, like voter ID is the big one, um, but uh, you know, you, yeah, you you can change early voting. You can change. Um, you can consolidate polling places, so all of a sudden, instead of people voting at their at their local middle school, which they trust and know and is right in their neighborhood, they have to drive across town and vote in some giant gym or giant you know place, or maybe even at a police station or something. These are these are little things, subtle differences yeah. that 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 happen that um, that make a huge difference in in whether. And and how, how frequently people are going to long
0: lines things. is like there's nothing more <laughs> fundamental deterrent to anything. Oh, than absolutely! That. If yeah, I'm absolutely hungry, yeah. I won't wait in a long. Oh, long.
2: and then you have and then you have forget about <clears throat> forget about changing the law. You have um you know election day shenanigans and and that's it sounds so stupid to say that I shouldn't say that Ele- election day you know voter suppression um where you know you have uh, if you have a secretary of state um that, uh, has control in a lot of cases. They're the ones who administer the elections. I was in, I was in a student in Oberlin in Ohio in 2004 and Kenneth Blackwell was George W. Bush's campaign manager for the state of Ohio. And he said on record publicly, I will do everything I can legally as, as, as the secretary of state legally to help him win. And what that meant ultimately on the ground was he had discretion over, um, backup polling, uh, polling machines, where where could they go? And the idea was, well, on election day, there's some places that are going to have longer lines and some some won't. Right. So you know it makes sense in some, or it's at least defensible to have um, to have uh, an elected partisan uh, representative control uh, where the polling machines go. Well, Cuyahoga County in Cleveland, which is an overwhelmingly black district and overwhelmingly Democratic district, um, they had 11-hour line, lines in the rain, and and so I mean the, the, from from start to finish, you have a massive campaign to make it harder for people to vote and especially certain kinds of people being likely democratic voters. Yeah.
0: And Did you ever get into any of that Diebold uh, machine like conspiracy about how there was like the guy, the people who made the voting machines um, were like affiliated with, with like the Diebold family was affiliated with uh,
2: the Bushes? Oh yeah, and and I mean, the idea that we would allow, uh, I mean, the, the 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 real outrageous thing for me, and yeah, sure, people are gonna have a political affiliations, so people are gonna donate money and, and you can pick that apart and you know, it's a little shady to to hire that company and then have them have you know really really strong overwhelming ties to the Republican Party but um, the idea that we would allow um, it's the software to be kept secret like it's like a it's a it's a it's a it's a you know a, a company secret what software they use and they don't allow certain kinds of inspections that's insane to me that we it's, would, it's
1: not it, even audited by like a, like the IG like there's no there's no auditing process the federal there's, election commission or something yeah, like that yeah, doesn't they're, 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 we're just like yeah we, we just trust the software I, I work in software so I'd be like holy shit well so that's yeah, another yeah, feature of our yeah. of
2: our democracy nationally is that it's a lot of the decisions are made not even on the state level but on the local level right and which is a
0: feature of it right I mean that's like when you're talking about trying to fend off conspiracy theory do the decentralization yeah. is a benefit
2: yeah and I think another thing I mean so you're absolutely right that it's you know no one's ever gonna nationally hack our election they're, ne- they're never gonna you know, just, just completely change the vote totals. Um, although there are, I'm sure, I know I, I don't know enough about the technical side, but I there I'm sure there are. There's a step at which um, you know the totals get tabulated by something. I mean, right. you know, I'm sure that could be could be vulnerable in some regard. But um, you know, uh, but again, it doesn't. You know, if you have enough jurisdictions using a, a piece of technology in a, in a in a swing state in close election, that could be could be a factor. But I, I really do think. I mean, that's another conversation that's important to have. We absolutely need people, especially people who want to talk about election integrity as this buzzword. And you really care about elections. Well, it's not just about, you know, making it hard for people to vote. It, you also have to f- make sure that the vote gets counted in the vote, you know, all this stuff. So it's, right. it, yeah. to me, it, 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 it rings hollow and it shows that um, uh, it's a cynical uh, kind of perspective. So
0: <laughs> let's, uh, l- let's just, like, get into... So um, the first time I was ever really, like, super aware of, um, like, the effect that the federal government had taken a sort of interventionist approach... In rectifying past voter suppression efforts was in 2013 when they when for the Shelby uh, case, Shelby versus Holder, um, and I didn't I w- don't think I was really aware of the like history of voter suppression and whether this is something that was just like was it Reconstruction era and then it stopped and then it was Jim Crow and then it stopped or you know like. Uh, I remember, obviously, during the 2000 election, there was like, you know, the, the, in Jeb Bush was Florida, which was critical. Hanging
1: chads, baby.
0: Well, hanging chads, but even before Harris. that, there was like, you know, and, and apparently there was massive, there was the really polling places lines. that were just shut yeah, down by yeah. the sheriffs and stuff. And yeah. So oh, I was and, aware yeah. that it was going on, but like, what is what do you think the, 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 the project of voter suppression or sort of the mode of voter suppression,
2: is this just a rampant constant in our history? Oh, absolutely. And, and it, get, it kind of picks up where we left off in terms of talking about, um, making the decision actively and, and, and consciously of who do you want to be allowed to vote, what do you want your electorate to be. So I think the modern the modern history of of voter suppression and um and anti-democratic practices thereof starts with Reconstruction and starts in the South. That that isn't to say that it's only where it happened. It happened in plenty of places. And again, it's just, it's essentially the powers that be um, doing what they can, you know, to, uh, to prevent people. Who, the, the the wrong kind of people from voting. However, it is is done by then. However, that gets defined for them by you know their own politics and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we have Reconstruction, <clears throat> where you essentially have um, you know uh, monitoring going on. There's troops there, and there's you know <clears throat> laws that are being enforced. Um, and it was actually very effective. And you had a lot of black candidates were elected throughout the South, yeah. and uh, still more than they are than there are now. I mean, you know, in terms yeah. of um, you have, you know, you have j- jurisdictions in, in places that are 75% black, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, so of course they're going to elect, um, people from their communities. Um, you also had, uh, and this was actually what was, what was really scary, uh, for a lot of the the conservatives in the South, which of course then were Democrats. Um, you had, uh, you had poor white voters who, you know, were, um, essentially sharecroppers as well, and they weren't, po- they weren't in slaves, but, um, Forming alliances with newly freed slaves to elect progressive candidates, um, and
1: that would terrify the owners of pro- the white men owning a property and former owners of slaves. I'm absolutely, sure. yeah.
2: <laughs> absolutely. And 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 you know this happened throughout the South. Um, there's a number of great accounts of different, uh, of of different, you know, kind of state stories of it. North Carolina was a was a great example. Um, but 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 read about this. I mean, it's amazing. This is this. These are these are poor uneducated people making uh coalitions with each other and uh, across racial lines um and and having success at the polling place and this was absolutely terrifying for the for the elites and um they made a very conscious decision we need to break up this alliance and so this this actually is is not just the history of voter suppression it's the history of white supremacy in this country and that's another as an aside that's another conversation we're now able to have that we can maybe thank Trump's election for bringing that up out in the open, you know. And we
1: could thank uh, your law school's hometown for <laughs> bringing that to a national conversation. Well, so, to, <laughs> so and,
2: uh, to, to, to touch on that for a second, August, yeah. August 11th and 12th, um, you know, uh, our president comes out and says they're, you know, very fine people on both sides. And Jeff Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the third, our esteemed Attorney General, he comes out says, You can't say that. You're, you can't do that, man. We've been getting away with it. I, d- I say, I
0: say, we've been keeping that under the table. Right. No. So I
2: mean, there's, you, obviously, you can't you can't say nice things about Nazis, right? right? But but he blew the whistle on it. He's he's now doing he's now doing full throated what they've been doing with dog whistle for for a long time, and he's now drawing more attention to to that and, and making it, uh, reminding people that white supremacy is alive and well in this country Yeah, and it, it well, needs, needs to be, it needs to be opposed and needs I'm to be curious, relegated.
1: Related to that then. So then the history of that. So there was, you mentioned that post reconstruction, there was this kind of generation of, of black representatives. And I think then towards the turn of the 20th century, things started to roll back. Right. So getting, the, yeah, like, getting back to that, I yeah, mean, so
2: yeah. one, one of, one of the, one of the tactics that, that the, you know, conservative democratic elites and then democratic, elites used was to you it's essentially white identity politics i mean right. it was the birth of 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 acting i mean not the birth i mean you know of course we have people always going to play to fears and identity the and birth whatnot. of the nation if you will yeah, absolutely <laughs> no no seriously so they 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 literally and then they had they, they you know to to the extent they had control of the media as as elites generally do they were they were able to use the media that but they they literally spread um propaganda yeah. about um you know about about the, the black threat and this and that and Um, and there were, and, and it was really sadly very effective in, in, in destroying that, uh, that, that, that progressive populist coalition. Mm. Um, and they essentially did it by stirring up, they, on the one hand, by stirring up racial resentment on the part of poor whites, on the other hand, active voter intimidation. Um, and that's what the KKK comes in. That's really what the KKK was, was, um, I mean, there's a lot of things obviously, but it was to, it was to, to terrorize the black communities and, and largely principally, uh, to keep prevent them from voting and okay. make it impossible for them to continue voting. So you had, whereas once you had uh, black voting rates that were as high as whites, you then, for, for now, from then until almost 100 years later, you had very, very, very much lower rates. And um, that was done through, you know, certainly through violence and intimidation principally first, um, but also through mechanisms like poll taxes, literary, literacy, literacy tests, um, which... You know, again, have if you have, you're thinking about it from a you know kind of neutral. Well, who do we want to vote? Okay, maybe you want educated voters. Right. You know, yeah. from it'd be at least at least it's at least defensible. Right. You know, right. yeah. but obviously the effect was to uh, prevent black people from voting, largely because again, they're administered on the local level and they would make exceptions for the whites who couldn't pass the literacy test or pay the poll tax. Exactly. I like that. think yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So and it was it was extremely effective, devastatingly effective, and, until the civil rights movement and yeah. until the Voting Rights Act. 1965 amended 1982. Um,
0: what specifically spurred the Voting Rights Act? Was it just caught part like caught up in like the Civil Rights Act and the whole like just the whole era of civil rights, or was there? Do you know if there was like an event that made it this is a priority to pass legislatively?
2: Um, well, there were. I mean, there were plenty of. Uh, Northerners, most of them white, going down to the South to help register black voters. You know, this was part, and of, this was and
1: we're also victims of. Well, that, well, no, that's the what they're called.
2: I'm not, I'm not calling them
0: carpetbaggers.
1: Yeah. But they're, no, but they were also, but I mean, I. I freedom, remember, riders. Yeah, for the yeah, freedom Riders. Yeah, Freedom Riders. I can't remember. Yeah. And uh, Ryan, you may know, I, I can't remember the names of the guys who were also victims of violence and intimidation. I think there were New York, Jewish New York guys working with the ACLU or somebody who were. Freedom Riders and actually getting people They were They were young They were young patriots Yes, They exactly.
2: were young yeah. patriots who believed in their country and they believed in democracy and they saw injustice and they were they were our age and were younger yeah. and they sacrificed their lives uh, and ultimately to, to preserve our democracy right. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know if there was one particular event. I think there was a broad recognition over years that uh, Black citizens, eligible voters, were being disenfranchised systematically mm-hmm. and en masse. And obviously, it, you know, it, that it was part of a larger civil rights movement. That um, you know that you, you know there were dozens of books and 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 all kinds of movies in history has have been written uh, about that. Um, but I think it was it, it, you know be voting being the right from which all other rights flow yeah. and the mechanism by which leaders are held accountable and, and the basic way that citizens are able to participate um, and again, a legitimator of, 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 their, of the system of government was not, did not exist for black people right. in the South. Uh, and, and, and you know so Congress, Congress, Recognized.
1: I think. I think will also, and I don't know yeah. if your thoughts on this, but there's there's a couple. I mean, obviously, there was a long-standing historical um, circumstances that were coming to light and coming to fruition and repression that had been going on in communities in the South for a long time. But I think actually a lot of it was, in my understanding of history, is that Lyndon Johnson using the legacy of. Kennedy's death who was a pr- very pro civil rights a- advocate and uh, was facing a lot of riots in southern cities that we don't talk about like in the early throughout the 60s I mean in the late 60s in particular in response to Vietnam but in I think in the early cities there were a lot of um there were a lot of citywide riots that were going on but Lyndon Johnson I think also out of maybe a self-serving uh, saw like saw his his candidacy for vice president and then president linked up with a northern democrat and then he also realized that the writing on the wall for the democratic party was kind of linking up with like I- extending the franchise to vote or uh, to people or as a political operator, I think that like maybe that. Do you think there's any validity in him seeing it as like, well, maybe if we reextend this the franchise to vote? So too? that makes I, yeah. that
0: yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Uh, partly because the um, currently Repu- Republican Party they released that autopsy after the 2012 election when Mitt Romney lost, and basically what they said was we got to try to not be so blindly racist. And you know, there's a lot of there's a, a huge demographic demographic pool that we can tap into if we can just kind of like. Diversify the party a little bit, and they have wholly failed to do that. But it sounds like what you are saying is that, like the the specific impetus to for, for Democrats in the '60s to pass this was because they were kind of enacting the same type of strategy. Like if we can, well,
1: yeah, as yeah, opposed to Republicans pool. seeing their strategy being like, hey, what? Well, it, let's well, just like limit the the people that are voting, the pool of people that are voting. It's like it, it works in our. I wonder favor if they would have done that
0: if the they pool. knew
2: they were setting up success with the Southern strategy later on.
1: Yeah, well,
0: it's uh, you
2: know. So. I think I think there's I don't think there's any question that the main impetus for the Voting Rights Act and for and you know for the civil rights movement in, in general is is a, a, a broad and growing recognition that um, there was serious injustice going on Absolutely. and yeah. that this was wrong and yeah. that this needed to be changed. So that's I mean our country our country made the decision to do that yeah. and it, it was you know kicking and screaming and it wasn't it wasn't unanimous and but but uh, but yeah I mean certainly there might have been um some cynical motives on on people's well, parts yeah. for the same yeah. for the same reason as you pointed out that there that there were that they were in our now in the Republican party to limit people's access.
0: And, and the reason that makes that makes sense to me is because yes, totally, not to minimize at all the like groundwork that was being done to bring to light the like overdue need for change, but the Democrats also knew that they were losing a huge amount of people that are now Republicans. You know, they they're they were going to probably lose the south and I think it was a strategic move. And to justify it by saying we're going to make up for it by by creating a new identity with a sustainable voting bloc that makes sense to me why they would make that calculus.
2: Well, and you, I, I so this is this is now I think getting beyond our real these historians kind of have done research on this, but I think you know the other way you can you can say it is the Democrats the Southern Democrats were not real Democrats. I mean there was a certainly was an economic uh, policy alliance to some degree, but. Increasingly, they were not. I mean, they were they were still Democrats. Certainly, the elected representatives were still Democrats in name, in name only. Right. And uh, and so it wasn't so much that well we're you know it's like we've already lost we've already lost them we've already lost this this region so maybe maybe that tilted the calculus a little bit in, in terms of not having as much to lose. But um, but I think really it's just it's it's just the, um our country grew up a little bit. And um, this is I mean if you think about the trajectory from you know from slavery yeah we're still on that path of atoning for our original sins yeah. and uh, and hopefully, you know, paying off debts and, and just recognizing the incredible injustices that uh, built this country or that this country was in large part built on. Right. Um, and and continuing to move forward and towards 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 what our country aspires to be and what our country we know our country can be. Um, even if it's, even if it's in fits and starts over hundreds of years.
1: Um, kind of, well, so then to, so I think then kind of alluding to what we had been talking about before, I'm kind of curious then, so you were talking about how voting ID laws are essentially voter suppression, voter uh, oppression, um, is a voter ID law essentially, do, do you see it as like an extension of maybe a poll tax or something? Is it, is it like, how do I explain to somebody, who is maybe a you know Trump supporter, and a person's like, well, we want to make sure there's no voter fraud going on, and we got citizens voting and all that stuff. And then how do I explain? How would you articulate to that person being like, well, the reason why voter ID laws are bad is X, Y, and Z, or like it's it's a it's a bad way to extend our democracy. You know, what I mean? I'm trying to think of yeah. like okay, yeah, so yeah.
2: there's a number of ways to approach it. I think this is really important for people who do care about democracy because again, yeah. this is a conversation that needs to be had, right. and we need to be willing to have it, and we need to be able to have it. So. Right. <clears throat> I really appreciate the question and this is something that I think about a lot and don't have, you know, XYZ blueprint. But right. I think the first way to, to do it is you know, start by saying, well, if you care about if you actually care about election integrity, if you right. actually care about the integrity of the electoral process, you should be really really worried about passing a law that's going to objectively disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of people. Right. Texas voter ID law when it was passed, the, the internal estimation was that 800,000 people were gonna be immediately disenfranchised, or rather 800 eligible voters would not be able to vote. Wow! Um, and they made the decision to do it anyway. Yeah. So to me, that says a lot about their motivations and actually federal federal court has held that uh, it was discriminatory, that it was uh, intended to be discriminatory. No question that it was discriminatory in effect. Right. Um, but, so okay, so I think the first way in is just making sure that there's, um, that they recognize the cost to democracy of right. passing a law like this. Um, and, and the second thing I would say, well, you know, voting is a fundamental right. You know, it's not, uh, it's, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect, or you wouldn't allow your government to pass, um, you know, similar kind of burdens on other fundamental rights. Obviously with, we, we allow do we do allow restrictions on fundamental rights? You know, you, we have second amendment say, you know, on a gun, we do allow restrictions on that, all kinds of rights that we, 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 we tolerate certain restrictions on speech. There's another one. I mean, we, we have restrictions on speech. It's not, it's not a free, free reign, but, um, you have to look at, you absolutely have to weigh the burdens being placed on a fundamental right mm-hmm. with the benefits, or the, at least the stated benefits. And in legal terms, this is called strict scrutiny. <clears throat> and it means that the, the, burdens, uh, there's, sorry, the, the, the burdens need to be justified by a, compel, a pelling, compelling government interest. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the state entity, whoever's passing the law, needs to articulate a compelling government interest. And they need to show that these were the least restrictive means. It was narrowly tailored. To meet the the harm that they're, okay. that they're trying to remedy. So, for instance, if you care about voter fraud, there's ev- there's there's far, there's evidence of far more far more absentee voter fraud than there is uh, in person voter fraud for the reasons mentioned. It's I mean you know it's a felony. You show up, you can you know, you get found out. You, you yeah, you're yeah jail. ten years in jail. Yeah. yeah, and it's and you know how how much more how much easier it is to say mail a ballot for somebody who's died. Or um, request a ballot and then try to vote in person. Although that's actually really dumb because it's the easiest one to, to figure out. Yeah. Um, how much how much easier is it to do that than to go go from precinct to precinct all day and try to vote as many times as possible? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So essentially, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the extraordinary step of limiting of, of placing a burden right. on, on 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 the right to vote, you need to sh- you need to be very clear about what interest you're advancing and 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 show that you're doing it in the least restricted means possible. Um, there was a great a great case uh, upholding a uh, woman's right to choose called Whole woman's Health v. Hestadt uh, that came out a year or two ago that um, kind of articulated that balancing test in, in a really important way. And there was actually speculation or you know some scholarship around when that came out talking about you know a woman's right to to choose bodily autonomy, you know yeah. uh, uh, what what happens with their body. Um, that's a fundamental right, and it's been affirmed as such. Um, but we still tolerate some restrictions on abortion. and, and so the question is, uh, whether whether in which ones, And in this case, te- Texas had passed these laws saying that any any um, facility that performs an abortion has to have uh, a- access immediate admittance access to an ambulatory surgical center, which is completely unnecessary for the procedure of right. abortion, which is completely unjustified medically. And they also had some other restrictions about like the width of the doors in case you need a gurney to go through, which is of course So the, the court looked at this and they said, I mean, obviously you know it was admittedly five four, but the court looked at this and said this is simply not. This is simply not commensurate to the to the burdens that you're placing. In this. I think a similar test can and should, and, and hopefully will be applied to voting. If you have a, if you have a justification that's based on a non-existent problem in voter fraud, and you have something that will demonstrably disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of people, or tens of thousands of people, or anybody, right. um, that law should not be allowed to be passed. So that's I think that's another good important frame um, in terms of talking about that. In,
0: in that in that Texas abortion law too, I think that um, one of the things that the the just the, the whoever ruled uh, struck it down. Um, what basically cited the sort of in the preceding deliberations about why we should argue mm-hmm. for this, and it was openly stated that it was to limit abortions. I mean, it, like yeah. it wasn't like they were trying to; it wasn't for women's health. Mm-hmm. And um, the same is true of voter ID laws. Like in Pennsylvania, I think yeah. they were saying this is going to give the state to the Republicans. Yeah. And so that also, and I think that that is being factored in, right, when we're talking about um, like striking down, uh, yeah, basically unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Uh, sp- laws that are intended to make it. I mean, there's a, there's a, um, go go ahead. Well, so
2: just to add to that real quick. So, and, and both, and and this has been now proven in court. This is not an opinion, right? So that was, that was the, the, uh, Pennsylvania case was a Republican said, this will help us get elected, right? And have it in an abstract way. Both Texas and, and North Carolina cases, they, because they went to court and, and state legislators who are lawyers, really dumb lawyers, they, they had emails that were discovered in, in, as a part of litigation that said that basically said we're going to find the IDs that are most likely to be used by blacks and and Latinos, and and, ex- and exclude those IDs and allow at the same time IDs that are more likely to be used by whites.
1: So if it's just like a resident card as opposed to a driver's license or something like that,
2: or, is or there, I mean, Texas—the original version of Texas ID law yeah. allowed you to present a concealed carry permit and not <laughs> and not a state-issued university ID. You could be a UT student. And not be able to use that ID. transparency But you have a concealed carry permit, and you but, can walk right into the You post know, I, not, I was, was reading about. Uh, <laughs> I was reading a thing about
0: how um, uh, names that were more likely to belong to black people were excluded, and they said, for example, Washington and Lee. And I was like, <laughs> okay. kind of sucks that two
2: slaveholders are the ones that they cite as the most black names. <laughs> yeah. There's a great, I mean, and and um, the the former secretary of state. Um, Oh no! I guess current secretary Steve Abbott had a whole presentation that uh, again was discovered in um, litigation—a PowerPoint presentation that he gave out to local election officials about uh, exactly things like that, like how to spot a fraudulent absentee ballot. And they—they they, literally the PowerPoint slide had had uh, it said suspicious stamps was one of the things you looked out for, and it literally showed a picture of a sickle cell stamp. That's oh a, that's a suspicious so even stamp
1: based on like a health condition predominantly in the black yeah, community. Absolutely, that's, yeah. That's no,
2: I mean, yeah. and yeah. So there's no question that these laws are passed uh, for discriminatory reasons. Back to your question, though, I think so. If you're talking to somebody who really, let's say. They really, I mean, they there there might be persuaded by some of this stuff, but they're still. Well, we need to have some way. Isn't this common sense? Don't we need to have some way to verify? Right, Who, your your like, identity.
1: Ryan, you, you okay? The, this picture matches you. Great, you can vote. I mean, right. we're pretty confident that you're not going to. Right. Do
2: but, it. Before you but, answer, let me
0: let me yeah. build in. I'm going to just offer a devil's advocate because I think this is important to convincing those people. Um, the I think the reason why people that defend voter ID laws think that it's a legitimate um request is that. To your point about this is really about it's kind of implicitly about who belongs in the society, right? Like the the block party is planned by the homeowners on the block, no, not the renters, you know. And so, like, who really is part of this neighborhood? Who really is part of this country? And so, there's that's the litmus test that's kind of philosophically being applied. And I think that those people who are okay with IDs, they're like, well, I have an ID. The you know the bar to get an ID is just a DM. You know, any functional person has a credit card has. And so it's they they might not even be overtly thinking like racist or even exclusionary thoughts, but it's like, how are you going to be a contributing member of society if you don't have these things? And that's the perspective they're coming from.
2: Yeah. And so I I appreciate that because it, it explains why it's hard for people to imagine. It seems like such a common sense thing. Well, everybody I know has an ID. I have an ID. Well, yeah. I mean, so we can talk about the demographics of who don't have have IDs. They're largely old. They're of course, largely poor and they're largely disproportionately minority. So, um, yeah, to, to some extent you're, you're already dealing with what are in many other ways marginalized groups, and rural voters also, that's another that's another category. But, uh, and actually some of the, the calculations that were made by the people who passed these laws were essentially, yeah, we're gonna disenfranchise a lot of the likely Republican voters too, but overwhelmingly more Repo- likely Democratic voters. So that, you know, that, again, this is anti-democratic with small d democratic. Uh, it's about disenfranchised democrats. But they're willing they don't care. They don't they don't value democracy. They don't they don't yeah, it's just, not, it's not secret yeah, at all. Same
1: way whether they were redistricting a district or disenfranchising. Yeah. And, 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 and then, oh, we'll then, lose a couple, but we yeah. like we make up the ground on yeah, like and, yeah. and
2: then they, they tailored the law specifically to have more of that effect. And that's what we're talking about with the picking, you know, allowing concealed carry but not UT in yeah. you know, a state, state state ID. And again, this is not my opinion. This has we're been really, this has been like, educated people. Right. <laughs> this has been this has been found in court. I mean this has been yeah. this has been proven in court and and. In in the case of Texas, it's been through the courts so many times now you have like, you know, nine out of nine federal judges who've looked at it have said it's, it's, you know, so there's no question about it. Um, But, you know, so if you really still want voter ID and you want some, you need to have some mechanism, you know, uh, for proving your identity at the polls, all voter ID laws are not created equal. You can have a voter ID law that, you know. Allows, I mean, that you can have a more a more permissive voter ID law, mm-hmm. um, and and you know Virginia, I live in Virginia. Virginia's is, is more permissive. It's easier, uh, it's easier to vote. It still is a barrier for people, and and a lot of people we're really dealing with now people who uh, are often indigent. Maybe they don't have a uh, a birth certificate, so they can't get an ID. So maybe they even have have a, have the ability to get one, the, the physical ability to get to the DMV when when it's open, and they have the money to pay for it. Um, but they don't have the underlying documentation and that itself is really expensive. So there's all kinds of hoops that people, people can go through. Um, and all these were documented in the, in the court cases out in Texas and North Carolina. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can have, you can have a, a lesser burden. Um, for instance, how about you bring, uh, two different documents, um, that, that have your name and address on it. Right. So you just make it that much harder for somebody to go vote on, un, under, under someone else's name. Right. Um, yeah. Do,
0: do you have identified any, like, I assume you're probably not in favor of any voter ID laws
2: in the country, right? No, because it's a non-existent problem. I mean, it, it, we're, again, we're, the, only, the only kind of fraud that voter ID prevents, I should have started with this, actually. Let's be yeah. clear. The only kind of fraud that voter ID prevents is in-person voter impersonation fraud. Right. You, you, it still doesn't help if you're registered in two places. You can go to those two places to vote, although that's, again, it's dumb because it's easier for the authorities to find out. It, it it is so uncommon for somebody to go to multi. You'd have to go to multiple polling places right. and vote under somebody else's name and have and then you have you know that that's that's what the ID prevents. It, it prevents and even then if you're going to go to that tr- that much trouble, you're gonna print. You can print a fake ID. You can do you know all kinds of stuff. So it's just it's just not a non-existent. The,
0: the, the, the funny thing about that too is that you know I'm from Chicago and like they hacked that system. The Democrat. The, <laughs> yeah. That's one of the, actually one of the few gerrymandered states in favor of Democrats. I live near the fourth district right. of Illinois, which is like the one, one of the most. Like a, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, a headphones. Yeah. yeah it's ridiculous. And like the, the way to hack a democracy is so much simpler than like shenanigans and the polling lines. It's like, just give them stuff. It's patronage. You know, there's like, there's better ways to do it. There's more effective ways to do it. Um, so let's talk about Jerry the, We Yeah. Let's talk about gerrymandering. I just wanted to, to <coughs> say, cause I was thinking about this and I was like, um, just like philosophically, what a, like in terms of like what you would say, like philosophically, any, any kind of like registration is, a, is a suppressant. Right. And, um, if you look at like the kind of the jig is up from conservative point of view with their feeling on gun registration, you know, gun registration is eminently reasonable. It has way more functional utility than voting registration. Guns are, that is a problem that's abused too often, you know, and there's like a lot of compelling social interest to do it. Did
1: something happened with guns recently.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is an evergreen
2: statement you can, you can make Yeah, it's something. Uh, and and did, you, did you hear that our president called him smart, by the way, y- y'all heard that, right? No. Just, I'm putting it out there out on your podcast because we, you know, our president, not only did he Say that uh, white supremacist Nazis are are very fine people. He also said that this mass murder was probably pretty smart. Because he got a lot That's of a guns fucking quote. Look it up. I mean, I think he's
0: probably just a, just saying like most of these. Like, he's he's, I, don't he's like, of <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what he's trying to say. Yeah. Nah. No. T- well, this Trump character sounds pretty bad. I don't <laughs> like him. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like if if any gun registration is a suppressant on the freedom to own gun, then how could like th- my, how could that same effect not be what happens whenever you add any new burden of proof to voting, no matter how unonorous you think it is? Like yeah. philosophically, it is there to winnow down people.
2: One more, one more note, kind of to wrap up the voting versus expression talk, because I think it's important to go back to where we started. Another one of the arguments. So okay, so you have these burdens. Um, And, but there are, you know, a lot, most, most states that have already laws do have some kind of way of a technical way of getting a free ID and you have to go through all these, these hoops. If you don't have a a, a birth certificate or a name change certificate, whatever, you're, you're shit out of luck, but usually, but uh, you know, so there's usually, there's a technical way you could get through and get yourself an ID. And then people, people, I've heard this argument, people say, well, you know, if you're, you know, if you're not willing to do what it takes to get registered, then you shouldn't be voting anyway. Let's just think about that for a second. So, are, do we really want to discourage people from voting? Don't we want people to participate in a democracy? Don't we want if we had 100% voter turnout, wouldn't we feel better about the results? Well, that, yeah. And and you know, so we really have to ask ourselves what kind of society we want to live in, what kind of democracy we want to live in, and and if the answer is, you know, if you if you if the answer is you don't want to live in a in an actual democracy and you don't want people voting, own it. Yeah. Admit it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that, 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 I think that yes, that is a great point, and it's a very impassioned point, and I agree with you. And that's I think, but I think you've just still the problem, which is it, is that they're they're finding ways to say it's like we we don't we don't want these people to vote without explicitly saying it, we don't want these.
0: It people also to vote. it appeals. Yeah. <laughs> to, there's a way to appeal to the conservative heart by being like, hey, you're putting you're making people put their basically you know freedoms in the hands of bureaucrats. I mean, Ari Berman has a story about someone in Wisconsin who was unable to get um, what was a pretty minimal, uh, you know, by, by voter ID standards, um, ID, it was just an ID of someone yeah. who had moved from, from Illinois to Wisconsin and they had to go back and forth. They like took seven trips in person and you're putting your hand, you know, and like conservative state
2: bureaucrats. So it's like, do you want these people to be in charge of basically the fundamental right of the democracy? And the reason that story is compelling is because the person actually went and did it. And so we actually got to see all that it took that one person to do it. Do most people do that? No, right. the vast majority of people yeah. would give up after the second step.
1: Yeah, you'd be like, forget it; it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, absolutely. And well, I think that's that's a, this speaks to a point about civic engagement too. And if you have the franchise to vote, you would actually be. i speaking to even the conservative mindset. You'd be like, well, if people do feel more entitled to vote. They will be actually more participatory in these programs or not, or like be like, hey, like we were at, we actively agree or disagree with like our our share in society and like what we think we should we should do to remedy. Issues
0: that are of public concern,
2: which is yeah. another way of saying we want we don't we, we don't we don't want the wrong kind of voter voting. Right, exactly. That's yeah. just another way of saying yeah. that.
0: So um, one way to to kind of tie, there, I mean, there's so many modes of voter suppression, right? There's um, there's p- lines and poll taxes and literacy tests and stuff, and then there's also uh, diluting um, what the way that people's votes are counted, and uh, that brings so that brings us to like gerrymandering, which is yeah, again, one of many others... Have you heard of transsexual voter suppression? I, there was a Wikipedia thing on this. I think it was basically that, like, I assume that it's if you uh, have, uh, you know, if you're misidentified by gender according to your birth certificate, then they, like, you know, don't let you get it. They don't let you vote or something. But um, the point is there are many modalities of it. Related to gerrymandering, One interesting thing that connects uh, the Shelby case and uh, which basically said that um, the Voting Rights Act is not itself unconstitutional, but the formula that's used to declare, to, to, to use in the preclearance is unconstitutional, right? It's no longer relevant. That was the ruling.
2: Even and- though, let's be clear, this is, a, this is a provision of the Voting Rights, or the, you know, the, the Voting Rights Act as a whole, but including this provision, had been reauthorized by Congress almost unanimously a few years earlier. No, they didn't just... This is every, every, every 25 years, this has got to be reauthorized. They didn't just reauthorize it. They had debates for a week. They debated. They had they looked at all the data. They looked at all of this, all the evidence. They had experts come in for a week. They actually did their freaking jobs as Congress. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court, a 5-4 majority, a conservative activist Supreme Court. These are the kind of decisions that conservatives love to complain about. You're overturning right, a dem- you're overturning yeah. the democratic process. You're, yeah. over- you're 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 saying what the law should be not what it is. Well, I'm sorry, you took away a power that's delegated to Congress. They did their freaking jobs. Right. And 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 you still said no. Yeah, that
0: was Ginsburg's dissent. She's p- kind of pulling a Scalia, like, you know, saying you this is the democratic process, you know, yeah. c- Congress deliberated uh, thoughtfully and this and you're basically negating something that they came to legally. Yeah. yeah.
2: The Shelby County v. Holder is second only to Bush v. Gore as the most anti-conservative judicial decision in modern history. Oh. I like that. Yeah. In, in terms of going against your stated principles for political reasons. Yeah. You, you. I mean, I'm. I'm in law school, and, and I have conservative friends, and you can't defend. You can't defend either those. Ru- you can't defend either those rulings based on conservative judicial philosophy. You just can't.
1: But do, do, well, do they? And like, Is do it attempted? Yeah. Uh, the the ones who are intellectually
2: right? honest don't. Yeah,
0: okay, and, so and what about abortion like, stuff? Abortion stuff is pretty invasive government policy.
2: Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. But but it, but if you really believe that life begins at conception, then you're protecting millions of millions of babies. See that to me is that to me is defensible. That's like if you really believe that, how can I? Their
1: principles lined up. Yeah, I mean, okay, but if you really
2: this is a total aside, but I mean, if if you really believe that, and that's a that's a belief. It's not something that's you know you can't really medically prove that it's not the case. You can draw the line wherever you want to draw it, but okay, then you're still weighing burdens. You're, you're burdening a woman's right to have bodily autonomy. It's as you said, it's the most invasive thing. Your government making a decision for for a, a human for, for for a citizen, for a human being. But on the other hand, you have like a life, right? So that's as about as weighty an interest as you can have. balance it. So I can I get that argument. Yeah. Right. There's and plenty my, of
0: hypocrisy to spread around too. Aside from those right. two as well. So. Um, but one interesting thing that links it to the Supreme Court case, which is about to be decided and for which arguments took place like a week ago, uh, Gill versus Whitford, is that um, both of the both the Shelby versus Holder and Gill versus Whitford center on formulas. They center basically on kind of actuarial determinations of something. Uh, Gill versus Whitford, uh, actually, why don't you just give an intro like to, to what's going on now, um, specifically related to like uh, kind of this question of is there a, a mathematical way that we can determine whether, like, uh, either gerrymandering or voter suppression is taking place, like with Gilberts' okay. for gerrymandering. So
2: the mathematical question: How do we determine um, whether or not a particular a particular districting plan is unconstitutional? That's the second order question. That's the standard question. Okay. The first order question is: Is is partisan gerrymandering unconstitutional? We know that racial gerrymandering is unconstitutional, and it's also violates the Voting Rights Act. So uh, but the question is whether doing the same thing based on party, yeah. which now, and in, 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 in for decades now, in racial gerrymandering cases, the, the, the line drawers, the map drawers, the legislatures have argued, no, we didn't do this because they were black. We did this because they're Democrats, and that's okay, right? And so, to take even one step back quickly, you know, gerrymandering is drawing district lines for a legislature, whether it's a state legislature or Congress, in a way that artificially inflates the, the representation of one group. So they'll, you know, they'll pack a lot of Democratic voters into one district uh, and have, so it would be a safe Democratic district and in return, all the surrounding Republican districts will be um, much more majority Republican. Um, they'll break the remaining Democratic votes over a an number Republican yeah, spr- district. sprinkle them around. As, and there's um, a
0: racial that, uh, the, uh, dynamic here too because if they assure that there's a minority-majority majority minority, whatever district that there's going to be a black representative mm-hmm. that's going to make the surrounding yeah. collar counties more likely to vote for like extremists on the yeah. white, you know, they're white.
2: And, and that also, that was, that happened during the, during the nineties. I mean, there there was, that was a strategy that Republicans used. Um, and that's a whole, that's, a, that's that's could be a whole podcast in itself. But, um, let's also let's also point out. So that's actually specifically partisan gerrymandering. There's also bipartisan gerrymandering. Bipartisan gerrymandering is essentially incumbency protection. It's when you don't necessarily have one party control of both houses of of, of, a, of a state house and and the governorship uh, that would enable them to pass a, you know blatantly partisan gerrymander. So they pass a bipartisan gerrymander. They get together. They have to get the votes from the other side. So they get together with their party leaders and say, okay, we're going to draw these districts in a way that uh, protects the sitting the sitting legislators. And so this isn't so much a constitutional problem of um, reducing somebody's uh, ability to participate, or artificially decreasing somebody's ability to participate meaningfully in the democratic process by electing a candidate of their choice. This is now more of a conflict of interest problem where you have the people who are benefiting from it are the ones who are making the decisions. And we, we prohibit that in a m- many, many uh, contexts in terms of like business. You know, you can't vote on an issue if you have a, a financial interest in right. it. Yeah. Um, and actually I, I wrote a, uh, an essay that got published recently yeah. last year um, that tries to treat uh, gerrymandering broadly, partisan gerrymandering, uh, nonpartisan gerrymandering or bipartisan gerrymandering as a conflict of interest. And they're actually, if you think about it, most state legislators are paid yeah. Um, New Hampshire, I think it's only like 200 bucks a year or something, but well, yeah, um, most New states. New
0: Hampshire
1: has like a ton of representatives. It's, I mean, it's everyone the fourth, in New Hampshire is like a representative. It's the fourth largest. <laughs> New, New Hampshire yeah, state like,
2: legislature is the fourth largest democratic legislature in the world for 100 or sorry, a million people. Oh wow! <laughs> I, again, I loved it yeah. there. They love their democracies. So really, it's really, it's really brilliant. But, um, but uh, yeah, and if it, if it if the Congress were that, it would be thousands of thousands. So, right. Anyway, um, so yeah, so you know, you get a salary for running. There are laws on the books in a lot of states that prohibit you from voting on something that would affect your personal interest in that salary. So on that theory, you shouldn't. You shouldn't anyway, that's a, but, well, another good, but aside. it's kind
1: of like it makes it's – like, it's, it's like it is a very, like, instinctual – it's like, hey, you do whatever you do to keep your job. Yeah. Like, and that's you know, actually – yeah. <laughs> like okay, well, yeah. It's so, like natural instinct. So, right? that, yeah,
2: so that's one of the arguments that gets thrown up against that yeah. is, well, people – like, uh, lots and lots of votes are cast in order for people to keep their – Uh, Keep their job. They're they're voting for things that they think will get them reelected the 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 response to that is that there's a big difference between um, you know participating and encouraging the democratic process by uh, you know by following the will of the people and and uh, Making a decision that's going to insulate you from that Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that Mm -hmm. kind of accountability. Yeah, Um, but but anyway back to the back to the real the real question So, so uh, after t- after the twenty ten midterm, which was a historically low turnout for Democrats, or low turnout in general, but in low turnout specific for Democrats, um, you had a number of states, including Wisconsin, that, um, for the first time in many many years, had one party rule and in the sense that they had both houses of state legislature and the governor, uh, so they could pass uh, they could go as, as hard as they want in passing a. Gerrymander, and both both a a, a, a districting plan that would protect the state legislative seats, and also the state legislature gets to draw the seats for the for the U.S. Congress. So, um, and they 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 were very the Republicans were very open about what they were doing. They had all these policy papers. It was a huge bonanza of you know think tanks and people trying to come up with you know strategy whatnot. How to how to best do this. Um, and and again, it's important to recognize as you as you mentioned before, this happens in Democratic states too. Illinois is a great example. Maryland is like another two great states, example. I think well, it's, it's overwhelmingly right. okay, yeah. a Republican tactic, right? Because you, you in order in order to really do a, an extreme partisan gerrymander, let's let's talk about it's, a, it's an extreme partisan gerrymander. You really do need to have one party rule. You need to have both houses and a, and a governorship. And Republicans had that, and Democrats didn't for the most part. But okay, another another important background point. This only really happens every ten years. You have the, you have this, the census, right. which reapportions based on. Uh, based on the population, and then you have to draw a new district to plan because the Constitution mandates that e- votes are equal. That's one person, one vote. That means that my vote in this district is the same as yours because our district is the same size. If yours were bigger, I would have uh, more proportional weight. Tonight.
0: And I think one thing that's important to point out too is that it doesn't have to be. Uh, I mean, if you were in a state that is overwhelmingly like dominated by one party, you could even make an argument for why they should have the right to gerrymander that way. But that's not the way that the specific instance of gerrymandering under which we're living was was executed. It was a specific plan that, like Ed Gillespie, who is like a Republican think tank uh, lobbyist. Um, spearheaded to elect very strategic key individuals um, in a number of state houses uh, in that election so that by the time the census results came in in 2010, they could be in a position to redraw state lines. So it was, it, it's not like, and I'm only saying that because like, if you, if it's one part, like Illinois is totally one party rule, but that's because most people that vote are Democrats, you know, so like. They may even have. They have the most legitimate case to gerrymander uh, some place that's super conservative, um, like you know Arizona, for example, uh, has a big like gerrymandering controversy because they have an independent commission in charge of doing it, which is actually very like partisan and kind of dubious results. But even there, that's like a pretty conservative state. Um, the actual regime that we're we're living under now was a specific ta- was a specific strategy that was enacted uh, in a top-down way, and that's what's Being fought against.
2: Yeah, it was certainly a specific uh, electoral strategy, political strategy, national Republican strategy to to target races so that they could have these majorities to get it done, Um, and and then of course it was a a specific strategy to to draw the lines in a way that would uh, again insulate them from future electoral losses, um, and specifically to you know to favor at a statewide level and a national level Republican candidates. So is it just like is it
1: is this essentially is it really comes down to and i mean like this is the ultimate and i mean you're in law school so you you will absolutely get this for this is the ultimate case of just this is the um like just legislate it. it's like the NFL in the way that like we're just going to legislate the rules to the point of where it's going to tilt the game in our favor like so it's like we want like we, the incentive is so the Republicans are at the same way that in the NFL are like okay we want it to be a passing game so you're gonna make it really really hard to defend passing so the same way that my, like we're just like okay well we want a conservative uh, like Republican government so and we're in charge and we're in the charge of the rule the, the rule book right now essentially so we're we're going to do everything we can to, to preserve well that so game. and, and
2: that, yeah. that's 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 that gets back on what Lenny was saying and it was yeah. really helpful to point out that there are states that are pure red or pl- pure blue and right. this is not gonna change materially. It's not gonna change whether one party has control or not. It might right. change the extent to which they have control. Right. Um but it was, so it was particularly important to Republicans in twenty ten to do this in states that were uh, that were on the border, that were right. that were, you know, where the actual district plan might make it the difference between them retaining control and not when and you know, Democrats do better in presidential elections and Republicans do better in midterms, and mm-hmm. that's just the way it, that's the way it's been. That's the way we to work on that. But um, <laughs> No, so yeah, so these, were, these plans were designed to insulate uh, Republican majorities in, in state houses against, um, against uh, you know, the, 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 politi- the changing political fortunes. And, and it was also, uh, and you know, pointed this out within the context of the 2012 election, I think it was part of a broader recognition that they were losing, on a national level anyway, not everywhere, but they were losing the demographic battles. Our country's getting younger, our country's getting less white, Um, and, and, and these are, those are, those are two, the two least favorable Republican demographics. So it, this is another kind of meta point. If you, if you're thinking about it from a, you know, political standpoint of what, you know, what do you want your democracy to look like? And you find yourself, you know, becoming less and less able to win national elections, uh, you know, because of changing demographics and changing politics of the people who are voting, you can... A change your platform and change your policies to appeal to those new voters, and this is what a lot of people tried to get try to get their public party to do after 2012, Or you can B prevent people prevent the wrong kind of people from voting right. or reduce their proportional representation. That's what they chose to do. It's the most craven way to to achieve. It. Yeah. I
0: mean, it turns that that autopsy the party leadership published into a complete joke because it was accurate. It was a, it was a honest good um, prognosis for how the party could could uh, sustain itself in the future, and instead it's like we can't actually change the very racist core of the Republican party. So now we just have to have like Chris Kobach is now the mainstream yeah. of, th- you know, Republican thought. And it's
1: also enabled now the, the, the zombie corpse of the white nationalists <laughs> to just come, they're like, Oh, okay, well, if they're going to fully endorse this, then I guess we'll like talking to you what you're talking about, where you're talking about, uh, you know, people not liking that their core, their demographic is being maybe subsumed by other demographics of people, whether it be immigrants or people of color, um, they're just like, well, this is white genocide to me. Like, or they, they go to the <laughs> extreme and they're like, this is white genocide, and they turn into Nazis or Klansmen or some yeah. hybrid. You know, like, like, or you know, tacitly supporting those. Yeah, people. or just being like, well, they're not. You know, they're yeah. not wrong, and yeah. like, uh, the, like, and and resulting in things like where, you know, the president himself is even saying it's like, well, they're bad on both. Like equi- equivocating. Like, they're or not like, that equi- bad. Making them. They're not that bad. It's both right. sides, people, and it's like, well. Right it's just, you know side it's, side. It's, yeah. it's
2: no yeah. white white supremacy is conservative identity politics it has been since reconstruction right. and it really has been republican specifically identity politics since uh, the southern strategy let's be very clear about yeah. that white yeah. supremacy is conservative identity politics
1: but then I don't, but then that's what, so to point about it, this being craven, they, then how do they keep getting away with it? They're like, no, no, we just, we just believe in small government and we just well, believe in Well, hopefully it. after
2: this, they won't be able to, yeah, it won't I be as know, easy I for them. I mean, I'm, again, this is why Sessions was so pissed off when, when Trump, like, you, when, you, you, you showed, can't, you, you can't say hand, that, <laughs> you can't come but, out and say it. Yeah.
0: So that Sessions reaction though, is exactly why, um, I think that like, if there is a benefit to Trump for liberals and, and a purely rhetorical way, I mean, this is a really kind of a papyric victory, but um, it, it kind of sh- it, it totally takes the veil off of all the dog whistling and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's an obvious point, but, but like so this it, is- I don't know if there's any going back from it. And yet I think they're going to still live it down. I mean they live it down like Strom Thurmond was a respected guy until his death. You know, I mean this stuff this stuff has a way of kind of just
2: folding into history, and we write it off. So I, so I mean this is we <laughs> we, we can old. we can at least hope, and this is a back a segue back to to German, and We can at least hope that. Uh, there will be electoral consequences for things that people don't like. I mean, you know, so that if somebody doesn't like someone, they'll vote them out, or if somebody doesn't, like, you know, somebody doesn't like the way a party's governing, they're going to vote it out. So that's where gerrymandering really prevents that from happening. Um, we, you know we talked about both both sides do it. they kind of do they definitely do it when, when they can, but it's it's, it's been more uh, especially recently more than Republicans doing it, mainly because they have the ability to do it. Well, let's not pretend that we're, we're we're pure out here or the Democrats party's pure. But, uh, but and also there's a you know there's a difference between partisan gerrymandering and non or bipartisan gerrymandering and to protection. And there's also a difference between partisan gerrymandering and extreme partisan gerrymandering, which is what we saw for 2010. Right. One thing we didn't talk about before that also kind of coincided with that. It was almost a perfect storm, right? So you have you have one party rule in a lot of states that are not that are normally switched. So they have a huge they have the ability and the incentive to extremely insulate them to themselves as, as much as they can. And they had the tools in a way that they never had before. They had granular, neighborhood level data, and they had and they had the ability to crunch those numbers. They had better data and they had better algorithms uh, and, and better ways of parsing the data than they have ever, ever had before. So we're about to have another round of, of redistricting, and. It's going to be a presidential election and it's going to be, you know, whether Trump has been impeached or not by then, um, it's going to be coming off (laughs) of a very, I mean, you know, Steve Bannon
0: puts the, his odds of finishing the term at uh, 30%. Really?
2: And that's, I think that's high i think yeah i mean that's about right this is another whole podcast but i i I think he'll resign um just like he's done he's cut and run in every one of his bad business deals he's going to get out when he he can and he'll probably get pardoned he'll probably get probably get away scot-free unfortunately pencil party. because that will be that that is the best political outcome for the Republican Party they're the ones who are in power right now but um let's let's put that aside um yeah so the next round of redistricting is in 2020 after 2020 it's 2021 it's um coming after a presidential election and it's coming where the democrats are fired up and if you're a republican do you really want the pendulum to swing the other way in a, an as or even more extreme way and you might feel you might, you might feel like you're not you know you, there's you have built in structural advantages obviously they're voting on the current maps so they have to be really really bad but actually one of the features of such an extreme partisan gerrymander is that you create these seats you create if you're trying to squeeze as many seats for your majority party out as possible you actually you create seats that are you know, safe seats in a normal election, but if you have a wave election, you, they might only be safe by like five or 10 points. And if you have a wave election that goes 10 or 15 points the other way, which this is looking like it might be in, in you know, 2018, 2020, um, you can actually lose a huge number of seats. So it's just, you know, that's just a, a real politic reason you might not wanna do it either. But, okay, so we go back to the technology in 2010. The technology has gotten so much better Orders of magnitude better in the last ten years, and and you saw what they were able to do with th- what then was incredibly sophisticated, you know, mapping technology, neighborhood mapping technology, um, and if you know the maps. By the way, if you look at the maps, you, you know they look like crazy maps, but if you zoom in, they look really crazy because a lot of them are cut on the neighborhood level. Right. Um, but no, it, it, headphones. So this this argument right, was yeah, you know, made, this, <laughs> this argument was made in 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 court, and it was made in response to um, one of the justices. Um, and I forget which one uh, asked asked um, the 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 challengers of the maps. Um, you know, well, do you you know don't you think that if we decide now that that um, we can adjudicate these things and we and we accept your standard that you're offering, isn't this going to set up this set off this huge wave of 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 um, of uh, of litigation and do we really want the courts making these kinds of decisions? These are political decisions, you know, and we d- we don't really want to get involved in it. We don't feel like we're capable. These these are good arguments. I don't you know the, we don't necessarily want the courts getting too involved in the political process in any in any regard, um, except to protect fundamental rights, you especially know. in minutia. Yeah, especially technical stuff. Of course, I mean these are these are old people and and they're insulated, very insulated in their elite, and they don't necessarily they have highly technical legal knowledge, but they really don't understand text. they really don't understand new computer technology. Um, anyway, but. And so the response was, you know, yes, this might lead to more litigation to, to A, vindicate claims, people challenge them because they think it's wrong, and B, frankly, when, when the Supreme Court announces a new doctrine, um, it gets applied by the lower courts, and, and they interpret it, and then over time, this is how jurisprudence get de- gets developed, and this is how doctrines get developed, and that's what happened. Exactly, exactly the same thing that happened with racial gerrymandering is going to happen with partisan gerrymandering, if, yeah. if, 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 if it comes out that way, um, but this is not necessarily uh, something really to be avoided. And, and they've been doing this with racial gerrymandering for 30, 40 years now. So it's not that they can't do it. But the argument against was, okay, so yeah, the, you, you're gonna, you, might, you might see some um, increase in, uh, in, in, in litigation around, around partisan gerrymandering. You, you certainly will because it needs to be worked out in the courts. But if you don't do this, if you don't rule now that this is unconstitutional and you don't accept the standard for how to determine how, whether it's, the standard for determining whether it's unconstitutional, What's going to happen in twenty twenty with all these new tools and with everyone realizes more, t- more what's at stake? The Republicans realize it in twenty ten. Now both sides realize what's at stake. Yeah. It's going to be insane, and you're going to be dealing with such an extreme uh, affront a in terms of bias maps on both sides. Yeah. Um, you're going to it's 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 really threatens the the, the basics function, of, the basic legitimacy of our democracy, and and people feeling like they. Have a voice that that actually works. It's an existential and that's, threat that's a, to the. It's an
0: existential threat to the society. Honestly, um, I think that uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And um, you know, it's funny that like how the, the in the conservative mind, the idea of like litigation, you're gonna make a federal case out of it, is like the worst case scenario. And it's not. You're right. Over like if you were kind of zoom out a little bit and have some perspective, that's how stuff gets decided. That's how precedents get set. Uh, that's not a bad thing. You know, given that the Voting Rights Act formula applied for so long, um, it's clearly a doable thing. Uh, I think my feeling on it is like, there's, there's so much being done with algorithms now that to not acknowledge that this is the level at which these, these decisions are being made is really naive. And if you want to, like, whatever the process is, yes, there will be litigation. But, you know, have there's probably lots of think tanks that have proposed really reasonable algorithms for figuring out whether something has been uh, gerrymandered in an improper way. Just pick one, almost. Like, just throw a dart at one of the options. Decide on it. And even that is going to dissuade the rampant, brazen uh, gerrymandering uh, that is that already happened. And it's only going to get better. I mean... The the if you like whatever the state of you know mapitude was in 2010, uh, you know in 2020 it's they're going to be able to do like machine learning stuff. So there's going to take an hour to gerrymander the entire country in an optimal way. And there's a lot of like, decisions that these map makers have to make about yeah like modeling different election outcomes, and um, there it's a lot of this is going to be automated to the point that even these kind of half science half art people who draw the maps currently uh, are, are in 2010 do them. It's going to be optimized even better than that. And so to, to not acknowledge that we now live in an era of algorithmic districting is really naive. And I think that that's why, yeah, I totally agree that it should not be dissuading um, that, this, that the specific algorithm that we use should be hashed out in the courts.
1: Um, I just I'm just imagining now, I'm imagining some kind of crazy like gerrymandered where like a part of like the Bronx is also gerrymandered to be like Buffalo like like, they're, like somewhere <laughs> in like Western
2: New York where they're like actually it's the same district look it's, at like, a straight line across like the
1: whole border between New York and Pennsylvania to like Buffalo and they're like
2: <laughs> I I live in the fifth district of Virginia yeah. and if you look at it it's it's basically a giant triangle that on the bottom is the border with North Carolina and the tip 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 top of the triangle is Charlottesville yeah <laughs> no, so I mean yeah the, the 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 district was cut in a way that that Essentially disenfranchises the city of Charlottesville um, on a, the, the, on, the a li- on a the on a congressional Jeffersonian, level. Jeffersonian
1: uh, Charlottesville town, <laughs> <laughs> the slave owner, <laughs> on the fellow slave owner, but <laughs> um, but yeah, like Charlottes- Charlottesville is, a, a, I would imagine, in Virginia, which is a generally red or conservative state, is is a very it's purple. It's it's, a blue, it it's, purple. it's, well, it's purple, I mean
2: yeah. it's a, even in on a national level, it's one of the more more liberal yeah, it's like cities a i think they went like 80% city, for, Hitler, for Hillary, you know, like yeah.
1: professionals like you know educated people that kind of stuff um uh back to your statement i'm kind of curious and then i guess we should probably wrap up soon yeah 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 we're, Good, um, we're getting along um but the real politic element you're talking about where it's like well actually like similar to it's kind of talking to like where the democrats are like well we didn't want to get rid of the filibuster because it's like we realized that it could be used against us and then it was ultimately the republicans are like see, see you later we're going to Get rid of it anyway, because. <laughs> uh, but so the re- do you do you potentially? I'm just curious if you see it potentially in 2018 and 2020. 2020- slipping the other they are like really just taking that hard swing the other way and the republicans being like oops like we played our hand we really overplayed our hand so far that we like people just swung right back in the other direction and um yeah. well
2: again i believe in democracy this is an incredibly unpopular president and congress yeah. even among republicans that they're really unpopular yeah. um and so yeah i do think i think that 2018 is going to be an extreme wave i think 2020 is going to be even more extreme wave um, and so you know, yeah. I mean, I think if you're if you're a pragmatically minded Republican, you might actually say, you know what, I'm scared. I'm scared of what the what the results are going to be because we've cut the districts so so thin. I mean, yeah. Again, there's safe districts in a regular election, but this, these are not regular elections. These yeah. are generationally not regular elections. Right. So. So you might even have a real politic reason to, to, um, to want this. But I think the, the overwhelming reason is because if you, do you believe in democracy or not? Do yeah. you want to insulate elected officials from account, electoral accountability, or do you want to protect them from electoral yeah. accountability? You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would honestly argue, yes, I want to insulate. Uh, I want them only thinking about their donors, not thinking about their, their voters. Um, and, and this should piss off Republicans more than it should piss off Democrats, actually, because the first uh, repeal of the, of the Affordable Care Act was defeated by the Freedom Congress. Sorry, the Freedom the Freedom um, Caucus, Freedom Caucus yeah. in Congress, um, before they voted on the bill. And this is again, this is you know, at this time I think it wasn't quite as clear as it was by the second and third try, but miraculously, people actually realized what this was, which was essentially going to deprive millions of people of their health care, right? So they weren't for it. Maybe they didn't like Obamacare, quote unquote. They loved the ACA, right? But they didn't like Obamacare. But so so Americans for Prosperity, which is the Koch brothers' advocacy arm. Literally said, publicly, and I think it was a press press release and everything, we are going to primary any any Freedom Congress, uh, caucus congressman who votes for this bill, because it's not extreme enough, basically, right? They didn't like it because it, was, it wasn't was as extreme enough, it kept too too much of, of, of Obamacare. So this is not technically quid pro quo, this is not, we're going to give you money if you vote our way. This is, we're going to fund to the tune of tens of millions of dollars a primary opponent, which... Because these districts are so safe, you're you're out. You're, yeah, you're so reversed. essentially it's a yeah. negative quid you're, pro quo. You're out of a job. If yeah. you vote for this, you're out yeah. of a job. Yeah. I again, I, I think you'd be really hard pressed to find anybody. And again, this is what defeated the Republican repeal and replace, right? Right. You'd be hard find, pressed to find anybody who would argue that that's the way democracy is supposed to work.
1: Right. Yeah. That there's somebody who can just like hold you hostage and say a, yeah, a, yeah. a pair of
2: extremely wealthy brothers who yeah. are legally able to threaten and credibly able, able to threaten uh, sitting legislators to vote against their, um, their constituents interest. Well, not
0: that, not that voting for that bill would have been in anyone's interest though. I was,
2: I was happy with it, but I wasn't happy with the process.
0: I I do love, by the way, this is a side, but Rand Paul just is, who's, I think a leader of the freedom caucus. Um, is, con- he's a senator, but uh, just constantly comes out against whatever proposal anyone could. It's like, if it's not constitutional enough, then it allows him to just get right. to just reject everything. Well, he everything. has lots of
2: practice in the opposition. I think a lot of those guys are much more comfortable in the opposition than they are leading. And they, they, oh, they, they were doing this, yeah, why why change now? Just continue to oppose, your, even though your party now has the, has the majority. But and your
0: point about the, the Koch brothers and, and, and very obvious top-down control being exerted is totally well taken. Let me ask you, we're, we're running out of time here, so let me just ask you a question, uh, something that's a little closer to like my heart. Uh, I think the Federal Election Commission is really bad uh, in the sense that it's run by uh, a member of members of the DNC and members of the RNC and I think that um, establishing the possibility of third party but ideally like more of like kind of a parliamentary um, college of parties would be a really easy way to uh, have more direct representation of ideology you know so maybe not so much on a procedural level which where we get into the you know the voting day suppression, stuff like that, and ballot access. But once you, provided you have that and you're properly districted, uh, who you're actually voting for still isn't that accurate, you know, to most people. And so um, towards the idea of having more of kind of like a European-style representation of it, I think um, being able to put, like, a Larry Lessig on the CNN debate panel um, when he actually had, like, by their standards, like if you, if you get a million dollars, if you raise a million dollars by this point, we'll put you on the debate. And then they just say no. I think that a lot of these problems stem from the Federal Election Commission. Um, I don't really know that much about them. But um, this isn't a ballot access thing, but it is kind of like something that gets it, – it's sort of a rotten in the mechanism of the election, don't you think?
2: Absolutely. Well, so the Federal Election Commission is an agency of the federal government, um, which means it has uh, – it, it quasi-legislative, you know, rule-making functions like a a legislature. It also has uh, quasi-judicial adjudicative functions like the judiciary, and it also has, it's an executive branch uh, arm, and it has uh, enforcement. So that's that's what an agency is. The Federal Election Commission is the only agency that is designed not to work. All the other agencies are, yeah, you you win an election, you win the the executive, the president appoints, um, and Congress confirms, agency heads. So right now, the EPA is dismantling climate regulation because, uh, because... Uh, Trump won the election, and he had a Congress that would approve the people he's putting in. That's the way it's supposed to work. The Federal Election Commission is designed to not work because it's designed to have permanent three-three Republican-Democrat uh, uh, members. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, it's designed to really not work if you're not a Republican or Democrat, which is what you're getting at, right? So yeah, no, it's absolutely completely broken institution. I've met two of the of the six current um, current uh, uh, commissioners. I won't name them. Um, had really productive conversations. I think. You know they they don't really have control over how the agency functions, really. I mean, they technically they have votes, but they don't ha- they don't control how it functions. They don't, you know. So this is something that Congress needs to fix. Um, I, I I maintain my hope that we're going to have a Democratic landslide in twenty eighteen and twenty twenty. And if you have if you have if, if Democrats had a solid majority, of the Republicans had now, they'd be getting a lot more done. Hear me, America. Yeah. Sure. If what, for no other reason, vote Democrat because they know what the fuck they're doing. What can people do if they're interested in uh,
0: like? in advocacy on the level that you've got involved in vote just vote
2: not just vote but vote don't not vote vote don't tell me you live in new york so you're not going to vote because it's going to go for hillary fucking vote do your homework figure out who your town counselor is figure out who your city counselor is figure out you know uh figure out who's who's running for uh, attorney general figure out all this other stuff you i mean you you absolutely have to do the research and then talk to other people because we all need to be doing this and um i plan i mean you know. I was I was a politically engaged, uh, conscious person in 2010. I didn't vote in 2010. I'm ashamed that I didn't vote in 2010. Yeah. I live in New York. Um, I'm yeah. sure that my district went Democrat. But it's it's just it's completely there's no excuse. Um, so yeah, those are the those are the main those are the easiest things to do is just uh, you know tune out a little bit from the, from what the media is giving you, which is all corporate controlled, and they'll they'll share a whole set of interests, even if it's left versus right um Thanks, and, 1996 yeah. telecommunications so, act oh right. yeah don't and, oh it's getting worse We're fccs about yeah. Light. Yeah. but uh, <laughs> no yeah just you know vote educate yourself on who to vote for talk to your friends about who they're voting for make sure that they vote and then if you really want to if you want to give up an afternoon or you want to give up an afternoon every week for a, for a month in front of election day go talk to voters at their doors Canvas it's really fun it's once you get over the total natural anxiety of of knocking on a stranger's yeah. door who probably doesn't trust you doesn't want to talk to you it is difficult, but it's really important. This is how democracy happens. Don't treat it like you're there to advocate. Treat it like you're to, you're there to have a conversation, find out what's important to that person, and and honestly explain why you're doing what you're doing. That should be
1: like a Boy Scouts thing or something like that. Boy Scouts, which we're talking about in the future episode, I know. <laughs> but like, I think that should be like more of a part of like a Boy Scout badge where they just go and like, so they, they just knock on people's yeah. doors and talk to people. Canvassing. Like, what do, what yeah. do you believe? And like, what, yeah, their like, shirts like, are already made of canvas. They I know. Have
0: good, <laughs> I think I think
2: people need to be less less personally identified with their values and their beliefs. I mean, that doesn't really sound great, but I think people need to be a little less ego involved in there right. and be willing to test them. If you're, if you're afraid of having a conversation with someone or you won't, you're not willing to have a conversation with someone yeah. who disagrees with you, what does that say about what you think? I yeah. mean, you know, if, if anything, you should, you're gonna come out stronger from that yeah, you
1: know, I, and, uh, for sure, I, and I think that's the reason why. I think that reason, what you just said, is the reason why we just think we only think in the binary of kind of like teams. Like I'm Republican, I'm yeah. Democrat. We don't engage yeah. with yeah. each other. I and watch this type of media. You watch yeah. that type and of media. Like, that is
2: uh, absolutely yeah. as true on the yeah. left as it is in the right. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. We just sit in these echo chambers. And you know, and, yeah,
2: and, yeah. you know, we, we can be honest and as, as as Democrats, as liberals, as progressives here, and say, you know, if if we if we really do want to want to take our government back and take this country back. Uh, we have to be willing to do that, and we have to be willing to have harsh, uh, cast a harsh light on our own biases and our own uh, pregnancy notion. We need to try to figure out why guns are so important to people. We need to figure out why, you know, local control is so important. Um, yeah, cool. that's democracy.
0: Thank you. All right. Well, I think right? this, is the, this
1: no. is the most. Thank you, guys. Uh, this is the, yeah, thank you so much. This has been the most. Do you have. Uh, so, I mean, that was a pretty good plug at the <laughs> end there. But, anyway, <laughs> uh, but do you have any other like last. Like, oh, I mean, you're going to you're going to be finishing up law school. So then, good luck on that. <laughs> thank you.
2: Yeah. Well, I hope. So yeah, I personally, I hope to be working on this in my career as a as a, a voting rights litigator and re- redistricting. Um, hopefully I'll have a lot more. To work with in the redistricting side in a few, few months when this, this case comes out. Um, and ultimately, campaign finance, although I think that's a lot longer in the future in terms of changing the law, the underlying law, constitutional law. Um, life, is yeah, life is beautiful. We are alive. Yeah. Someday <laughs> we will be dead. Whatever you believe about what comes before and after, enjoy it.
0: That
1: is the best, best yes. play we've ever had.
2: All right. So, uh, thank you, Ryan, for joining us.
0: And uh, we'll see you guys. Next week. Next Infinity License. Yeah. Thank you guys for doing this. All right, thanks, yes, nice. Ryan. Uh, have a good one. Cheers.